Um, the short-term trips I'm talking about today are typically seven to ten-day trips uh, that might be focused on things like a medical clinic or building homes or churches or conducting vacation Bible school for the children, those sorts of things. The second pillar is that it's built upon mature Christian leadership. Leaders that have integrity, humility, and understanding of the scriptures and biblical principles. The third principle that I teach is multiplication. A properly executed CHE program leads to automatic replication. And there's a story I could share with you very quickly. I probably have the numbers not quite correct, and I see uh, the wife of our president came in. I'm happy to have her here. Um, but there was a, a couple that went into the Congo quite some time ago, and they started a CHE program there. And they worked at that for a while. And, and the results that they saw in the initial village where they started working with CHE is they saw a 50% reduction in early childhood mortality and malnutrition. And so the villages nearby noticed that the children of that village were not dying like their children were. And so they went to the village leaders and they said, why, aren't, why are your children not dying like ours? And they said, well, somebody came and they taught us about how to help take care of our own health care needs, how to prevent disease, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the other village said, well, would you teach us? And so that village taught the neighboring village. And then when their children stopped dying at the same rate others around villages around theirs, they came and asked that village. And so it multiplied. And so by the time that the Civil War broke out in the Congo, uh, it had spread organically like that to over 60, congr- 60 villages. Um, the couple had to leave because of the Civil War. And they were out of touch with their, their constituents in the Congo for a number of years during the time of the Civil War, unable to reach them, unable to contact them. And so they really wondered what would remain of the CHE program by the time they got back into the Congo after the war ended. So the war ended... People went back to the Congo, and they found that even during the Civil War, it had spread from 60 villages to over 130. So multiplication is something that we think is important, and we think it's important for short-term teams too. It's also holistic. I mentioned this earlier. It needs to address the whole person. Jesus sent his disciples out to teach and to heal, both physical and spiritual. It wasn't his suggestion that we do one or the other. It was his command that we do both. So it needs to be holistic. The work needs to be sustainable. The old saying about, well, if you give a man a fish, what will he do? He'll eat for one day, right? If you teach him to fish, how long will he eat? For a lifetime. But we think there's another step yet beyond that. And that's you need to teach them how to maintain the lake. Because you don't want him to just eat for a lifetime, but you want his children to eat for a lifetime and his grandchildren for generations. And so teaching people how to make things that are sustainable is very, very important. And we are to go, as Jesus said, uh, to teach, not to do. There are things that people should be doing and are able to do for themselves that if we go in and do it for them, it robs them of the God-given responsibility and dignity of work, which is a God-given blessing. Oftentimes we tend to think of work as a curse. Work wasn't a curse. It was bringing forth of the thorns and the thistles and that kind of thing that was the curse. Work was already there in the garden to take care of the garden and to tend it. Benjamin Franklin, a long time ago, said an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so Che is focused on prevention uh, of illnesses and prevention of those, any kinds of situations that would be detrimental to the holistic health of the person. And so we believe it's more wise to seek prevention of problems in the first place. And so we, we teach people uh, about how to prevent illnesses that 
they've had for a long time that have been endemic in their villages and how to take care of their health and their hygiene. And last but not least, because this is a huge one, is community ownership. The community needs to own not only the problem, but they need to own the ideas and the solutions behind how to fix it. It's my belief that short-term missions teams need to learn and incorporate these principles as much as they practically can into their short-term teams in order to be helpful rather than harmful. We'll talk more about that. But now to the core of this section by telling you a little bit of a story. Mouse and Elephant were best friends. They did everything together. One day, Elephant said to the mouse, let's have a party. We'll invite all our friends to come. And so they did. All their friends showed up and they all ate and danced with no one dancing with more enthusiasm than Elephant. And everyone had a marvelous time. But after a few hours, everyone finally went home. And Elephant went to find his friend Mouse. And he yelled out, Wasn't that a great party? I think everyone had a wonderful time. What do you think? But Mouse didn't answer. Mouse? Mouse, where are you? said Elephant. Still no answer. And Elephant looked all around, but he didn't see Mouse. And finally the elephant looked down at the ground, and there he saw Mouse, crushed into the imprint of the elephant's massive dancing foot. You probably can't see that line at the bottom, but an African man said, that is what it is like doing missions with you North Americans. They saw themselves as mouse, and they saw the teams that come in as elephant. Another story along that line about short-term teams. I did some training down in Tecate, and when I was there, we had an opportunity to talk with a lot of Mexican pastors. Uh, and it broke my heart what they had to share. They said, you know, it used to be that you North Americans would come down here and you would teach us about the Bible. I said, but now you come down and you give us clothing and you build us houses. And they said, did you see all the clothing that was on the street that people were selling when you came by? I said, where do you think that came from? He said, do you know what happens to the houses that, that get built for us? In a matter of a few months, they're all torn down and sold for scrap. He said, it used to be you came and talked to us about the Bible. We wish you'd go back to telling us about Jesus. Let me tell you a story, another story of a disaster. In the village of Brofayedru in Ghana, there was a CHE program that was started, and the village decided that what they needed the most was more income so that they could feed and clothe and shelter their families. And so they selected, as the first problem they wanted to tackle, the lack of income. And so they started with microenterprise or microbusiness. And it took three years for them to really kind of get that program going. And the program was going well, and they had started the first couple of businesses, and they were on their way to starting more. But then out of the blue, a short-term team showed up. The short-term team was going to be there for a week. They came into that village, watched and observed the people, and at the end of the week, they gave the people all money. The people said, oh, and they also said, we'll be back next year. 
So the people said, wow, they gave us so much money. Why should we have to work so hard? They're going to come back next year. And in the course of one week, three years of work had been totally destroyed. And the village was back to ground zero. I'm glad to say that now, because the short-term team did not return, the program is getting started again, and the village is once more moving forward. So that's an example of a well-intentioned short-term team. They did not mean to do harm. They meant to help. They wanted to, to serve the people of Rofayedru. Why did it happen? Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But not all short-term team missions need to be harmful. I believe they can be very helpful. So let me share a story with you of success. There is a, a Tanzanian co-worker named Tony who has partnered up with a pastor from a church in Gadsden, Alabama. And, and I'll just tell you real briefly about the church in Gadsden, Alabama and what their background was. They'd been doing missions, a very, very missions-minded church, and they had been for a long, long time. But one of the things that became disturbing to the, to the pastor was that they kept going back to the same place over and over, which is a good thing, but they never really saw any change taking place. They saw the same problems year after year, whether it was health problems or, or the poverty issues or the lack of good nutrition, whatever it might have been, they never saw any change in the places that they were serving. And so the senior pastor began to think, and he began to say, there's got to be a better way. And in the process of that, he came across Che. And one Sunday, he stood up in front of his congregation, and he said, starting immediately, we're going to stop all missions trips for a period of at least one year. And we're going to train ourselves in this process. It's called CHE. And so he, he, they did that. They stopped their missions uh, program for a year. They trained 150 people in their congregation. It's a large church. And then he sought out a partner, and he came across Tony in Tanzania. And they formed a long-term partnership arrangement between the church in Alabama and smaller churches in Tanzania, where the church in Alabama said, we will come commit to you for a period of, I think it was 10 years, that we will come multiple times every year to your communities, and we will help teach the, the trainers there how to train new things to the people in those villages. And so over time, they've done this work now, uh, and they started partnering also with, um, Randy is very, very evangelistic. And two years ago, they met with a group of slightly under 20 people from 13 different congregations in, in uh, Tanzania. And uh, the people said, we would like to start planting some churches. And so in two years' time, those 13 congregations have now planted 17 flourishing churches. And in this next year, they plan to, 12, plan, they plan to plant 12 more. So there will be 31 churches in a period of three years. And they do that through the teaching of Che and the short-term teams that go and do that. So that's the result that they're beginning to see uh, in that area. Let me tell you one more story um, about the transitions. Now, it's not always easy to transition from one kind of short-term missions to another. That is a problem I hear over and over whenever I go to share with short-term mission teams. How do we extra... Because they are seeing the problem, too, a lot of them. They say... We go and we go and we go and nothing really ever seems to change. Um, and it's difficult. I wish I had a silver bullet I could give you. I don't have a silver bullet. We'll talk about some things we can do. But I do think there's a couple other things that are very important. 
Randy said previously, well, we weren't seeing transformation of the places we were going to serve. But now we are. And I really love the fact that it really took a lot of humility on their part to say, look, we're not doing this the right way. We need to find another way to do it so that transformation takes place. I like Randy's terminology also. And again, it's going to be at the bottom of the screen. You won't be able to see it. Oftentimes, people talk about relief-oriented missions or development-oriented missions. Randy doesn't use those terms. And I think language is very, very important. Instead of relief-oriented missions, he talks about project-oriented missions. We're going to build three houses. We're going to build a church. We're going to build a school, a project, versus transformational missions that cause change in people. And so that's Randy's focus is transformation as opposed to project. And that's really kind of the development versus relief mindset that we have at Medical Ambassadors as well. Um, So there is a church in Menlo Park that also was struggling with the same kind of a problem. They were sending medical teams to Desi, Ethiopia, for a long time. And every year they would go, and every year they would have the same kind of problems coming in, people that had worms, or they had some kind of skin infections, or they had dental caries, or things of this nature. And the people never seemed to get better, and it was always the same thing year after year after year after year. And so they also came across Che, and they said, well, look, this makes a lot of sense. Isn't it better to prevent those kinds of things than having to... You go with a short-term team and you give out medications to get rid of the worms and it, it's, it works for a while, but then they, they come right back because the people don't have good hygiene and the health practices are not what they ought to be, et cetera, et cetera. So they began implementing CHE. And they were in a three-year transition period. Um, and they, they got it done this way. The first year, they really kind of did the same thing because they knew they had to start shifting the mindset of not only their own people, but the people of the, of the villages and the, and the clinics where they had been going and serving. Instead of the people on the receiving end thinking, you're going to come and do all of these, this stuff for us again, the first year they just kind of said, look, we found this new thing. We'd like to tell you more about it and see if you share the same vision that we do. And, and they did. They said, yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense to us as well. And so the second year, they did a lot of work during year one to begin transition in year two. And in year two, they still did a lot of the doing, but they were sharing the doing with locals as they did more and more of the, uh, of the work. And they focused more on the relationships than they did on actually giving out uh, medications or, or treating common problems that could be prevented. And then the third year, by then they had made really good contact with local uh, medical people um, and uh, people in the department, uh, the health departments in the country where they were going. And by the third year, it was totally transitioned over to the people that were nationals in country. And the doctors and nurses that went did some teaching on new things that the doctors there had expressed interest in learning about. And they also became learners themselves as they talked to the people in Ethiopia about some of the diseases that are common in their area. So it was a mutual exchange, and they learned a lot from it. But it was a three-year process to transition Maybe that's fast. Maybe that's slow. I don't know. I think it's going to vary from place to place. But now they go to teach and to learn. So what makes a difference? Well, first of all, I think admitting that doing the same things in the same way is going to get the same results or the same lack of results that we've always had. Uh, I think it was Albert Einstein, although there's different people that seem to be credited with this statement, that said, the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And I suppose that one could argue with that definition, but I think there's probably a fair bit of truth to that. 
If your short-term missions efforts never really seem to affect change, perhaps it's time to think about other ways of doing it. But it takes courage to admit to missions committees, to the funders of short-term teams, that your teams may not be achieving as much as they might in terms of lasting transformation. Transformation is much harder to measure, isn't it, than the number of baptisms that take place every year or the number of houses that were built or the number of children that attended a vacation Bible school or the number of sports games that, that were organized for the youth of a village. Transformation takes place on the inside, and it's, it's, it's a slow process. Um, but transformation should be the goal, not only for those that we serve, but for ourselves as well. So first, we have to have enough pain associated with what may be a lack of results that cause us to humble ourselves and say, well, maybe there's another way to do this. Now, and I, I will tell you this too, uh, even though there are people from MAI here. I will tell you this. MAI does not think we have all the answers, by far. But we've found something that we think works better long-term to lead to transformation. So, secondly, we need to realize that, that North Americans have a very strange definition of poverty, much different than the rest of the world. North Americans tend to think of poverty as what? We tend to think of it usually as a lack of material things, a lack of money, a lack of, of clothing, a lack of shelter. And that shouldn't surprise us, given our culture's fascination with materialism. But poverty, as Corbett and Fickert defined it, is, it is, is always the result of broken relationships in one or more of four spheres. The first one is a relationship with God, a spiritual poverty. The second one is a relationship with others. The third one is a relationship with ourself, how we view ourselves and see ourselves as part of God's creation and made in his image. And the fourth one is a relationship to the creation and all that exists around us. And so when talking with people in the majority world about what poverty is, they don't tend to talk much about their lack of an extra pair of shoes or an extra coat or whatever that might be. But they tend to talk much more in terms of psychological or social terms. Poor people in the majority world speak of shame. They talk about feelings of inferiority, of hopelessness, powerlessness. They're feelings of humiliation, of fear, and of not being heard. So when they're talking... If you ask them about poverty, those are more of the things that you hear about. So many North Americans go to a third world country and they see the physical poverty, much like the short-term team that went to Brofayedru that gave out a bunch of money to the village. But they seldom see past that to the mental, emotional, social, and the poverty of the spirit and self-image that, that consumes those who have become dependent on outsiders. How would you feel if somebody had to give you something every day? That's a question we need to wrestle with. Uh, and this is a critical element for us to understand in our short-term missions, I think, that we have to understand that it's not about giving people more clothes or building a house because those things only contribute to the cycle of humiliation, ultimately, and the feeling of shame. I'm not able to provide for my own family. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a man 
uh, and not able to do that. Or a woman that's, a, that's caring for a family by herself. Because those things contribute to those feelings of inferiority and shame, and, and they may be far greater problems than the lack of an extra pair of shoes. We need to also understand that good intentions are not enough. I am convinced that every short-term team that goes out there goes out with the best intentions in the world. I, I don't doubt that. I don't question that. I believe that with all my heart. They feel called by God to go, and I'm glad that they do. But good intentions, when they are coupled with actions that can be a little bit destructive, are not only harmful, but they are soul-crushing. Short-term teams have many shortcomings, and, and uh, I'd like to share another story with you, if I could briefly, to kind of outline that. There was once a village located on the top of a steep mountain. And on a regular basis, as people were coming down the trail... They would slip off the trail and fall into the valley below. A number of people were injured, and a few were even killed. And it was a long way to the nearest clinic for treatment. And so one day, a short-term team came to their village. And they saw the people that were getting injured, and they wanted to do something about it. And they thought about, what can we do? And they decided that maybe the best thing they could do when these people get hurt would be to have an ambulance stationed close to the bottom of the hill so they could take them to a clinic. The clinic was about 10 kilometers away. And so the people in the village were excited about that idea, about how they could get their people to treatment. The short-term team went home. They raised the funds for the ambulance. They bought it. The people at home were excited about the project, that they could get involved and they could help. Well, one day the ambulance broke down. But the people ignored the problem until another person fell off the hill. And they needed the ambulance at that point to take the person to the village, to the hospital. But there was no transportation available, and so they became very upset about it. And they contacted the short-term team that had provided the ambulance, and they, they said, you know, your ambulance is broken, and why aren't you maintaining it and getting it fixed for us? Well, the team raised more money, and they fixed it. But the same problem happened again several more times, and again the people would come to the short-term team who would make an effort to solve the problem. The short-term team finally decided that they could no longer maintain this ambulance. There were too many repairs. It was too costly. They, they didn't have the money anymore. And so they told the people, it's your problem. We can't help you any longer. So the people felt sad about that, and they were back to where they'd begun. Well, one day, a, a church diocese came to them. And they saw the problem and they said, well, we'd like to help out. And so the diocese decided what they really need was a clinic at the base of the mountain rather than an ambulance to take people to the clinic. So they built a clinic. They provided the equipment. They provided the staff. They stocked it with drugs and medications and bandages, etc. And the people were very happy that those that fell off the mountain could now get immediate attention. And they didn't have to ride that 10 kilometers anymore if they had been able to. And it worked for a while. But eventually those that were staffing the clinic wanted some time off, and the clinic was left unattended. The people went to the diocese, and they said, we're getting really poor service from this clinic. We would hope that you would have given us better care. So the diocese put in extra staff to cover during the holidays. So several times the clinic would run out of drugs, and the people complained about the poor care, and the diocese ran low on money, and they had to make cutbacks, and so they shut it down. And the people were very angry. And the people didn't know what to do, but there was an old man that lived up at the top of the mountain in the village. And he said, you know, I had an idea when we first 
were considering this problem, but no one would listen to me. Because the outsider said they're going to do everything for us. But here's my idea. We've got these trees. Why don't we build fences along the dangerous parts of the path so that we prevent people from falling down the mountain? And so the village thought that was a great idea. It was a renewable resource that they had, and they built the fence, and the people stopped falling off the hill. So let me ask you a question and open this up for just briefly for a few comments. What problems do you see in this story on the part of the short-term teams? We're all friends here. Nobody's going to bite. They didn't involve the locals, right? Okay, so there was no community ownership by the people that lived up here in the village to start with. It was all the outsiders that were doing it for them, right? What else? Very good. They didn't identify the real problem, right? The, the complaint that the people had was, you know, our people get hurt, fall down, and we can't get a medical treatment fast enough. All right, so rather than really understanding the situation, they came in, they heard something, they said, oh, okay, I think we can address that. They didn't really think about the problem. Yes, sir? They didn't identify the local resources. I can take us back to another one. Sure. Uh, you know, sometimes, just to be aware, for short-term chips, the local people may have said, well, we need this ambulance. And they've already they may have said that, yeah. So you have to be careful about when you, when you say, well, we did what they wanted. Right. Without stopping to say, what are the right. resources? Yeah. Many, many times we, we tend to treat symptoms rather than problems. Right? Yes, ma'am, I think you were next. They tried to solve the problem with the North American mindset. Good. Yes. Okay. Yeah, the relationships were eroded as a result too, right? Because they had engaged with these people with all the good intentions in the world, and then they found themselves unable to continue. It was not sustainable. Their solutions were not sustainable. And so um, they had great intentions, but it, it, it broke down. All right, good. Thank you. Very good. So... What, what makes a difference? Well, we talked about what short-term problems you saw in the story. The poor diagnosis, there was no community ownership, it wasn't sustainable, they focused on needs rather than assets that were available. They took the people's word for the problem, and I, I think that's important. There's not necessarily, they may not understand the real problem themselves. Okay. Now, I think we need to be very careful, though, that we don't have a paternalistic mindset that comes in and says, we know your problems better than you do, because we don't. They live there. They live it day in, day out. And it's very arrogant for us to come in and say, well, we understand your problems better than you do, and we've got the solutions. They need to own not only the problem and identify it clearly, but they need to talk about what assets they have to address the problem and come up with solutions, and we can help them with, uh, once they've done that, help them with trainings. Okay, so um, we have to be very humble. Let's face the facts. We don't have all the answers. And when, when North Americans parachute in someplace in a majority world country, a lot of times people look at the Americans coming in and think, well, you guys are so educated, you've got to have the answers. Our experience in North America doesn't necessarily translate to theirs. In fact, very different. So we would struggle to live in their world if we were dropped in there and we had to survive all by ourselves, we would struggle and we might not make it, quite honestly. 
So we need to be humble and realize that. Um, And in fact, our ways as senders or as goers, that passage about his ways are not our ways and our our thoughts are not like his thoughts, uh, we need to realize that's true in our mission stuff too. And realize that we may think we've got the answers, but we need to really be humble, get on our knees, and pray about it. Okay, so what makes the difference? Being realistic about the potential dangers of short-term missions. Most short-term missions teams probably don't sit down and really think that through. What are we planning to do when we get there? Well, first of all, I would say you shouldn't be the one that comes up with the plan. The people on the receiving end should be the ones that come up with the plan. They know what they, what they need help with. They know what they need to be taught, what they need to be trained. Let them develop the plan. On the sending end, we need to be thinking about, okay, if we do this, is this going to be harmful? Is it going to be soul-crushing? Is it going to be leading to further dependency on their part? Will it lead to increased shame? How do we avoid those kinds of things? How do we avoid creating dependency? Next thing. When we go in and do things for everybody, it reinforces the negative images that they have in their minds already. About And, and you know, for, for a couple hundred years, uh, missions were very paternalistic. And, for, and we created a mindset, quite honestly, in many places among the people that, that I need help from outside. I can't do this by myself. I can't solve my problems. I cannot shelter my family. I need handouts. Well, they can do far more than we think. They are surviving there already. We want to help them learn to live more abundant lives. Helping them see the assets they have that can be applied to their problems. And, and there are places in this world you look around and you think, well, there's not a whole lot of assets there. And that is true compared to the United States, but the people have tremendous assets. Every human being has been given gifts and abilities by God. And there are people in that village that know far more about their problems than you and I ever will, and they probably have far better ideas on how to solve it than you and I ever will. Rather than going in and buying an ambulance or building a hospital, the guy in the village had the right answer to start with. We don't want to reinforce those concepts of inability to do things. Now let me talk specifically about medical short-term teams, and, and I realize that this is mostly a medical uh, conference, and again, I do not mean in, uh, to uh, insult anyone here. That's not my purpose at all. The name Medical Ambassadors International makes it sound like we are a medical missions group, and we aren't. Uh, we do not send doctors and nurses uh, to do clinics in various places around the world. It was started by a doctor in conjunction with others, uh, but we don't do medical clinics. We typically don't send out teams of, of people, even in re- emergency relief situations. We use the funds that we collect at those times to support the people that are already on the ground there doing CHE, that are already working with the nationals. Um, we may do health screenings, things of that nature. We present the results to the village, help them identify issues that they want to uh, address. And, um, but we don't do curative procedures. We don't dispense medications. And we're concerned, or I should say maybe I am concerned, um, that, again, well-intentioned medical missions can sometimes do harm for a variety of reasons. Number one, the teams won't be there to observe and care for any side effects that come along later of the surgeries or the dental procedures or the medications that were dispersed. 
So there's not a certainty that the patient will seek professional help if it's needed, even after the team leaves. It may be too far away. They may not be able to afford it. They may not even realize that they need to go. The medications that are dispensed are often at best stopgap. I mean, deworming medications, for example. It's great to help people get over those kinds of infestations, but wouldn't it be advantageous to have taught the people how to prevent the infestation to start with so that next time you go there, you don't see that problem and you can tackle another one? It's also often very difficult to know if the locals are on any kind of prescription medications already or any local herbal medications that they might be taking. And even if they were taking something, they may not really know what the name of it is or what it's for. And so if we hand them a prescription medication that we brought with us from America, we don't know what potential interactions they might have. Uh, And as a result, um, even if we have translators, the communication may not be very accurately relayed back and forth. So as far as prescription medications, we may not be able to continue the treatment. They may not be able to continue the treatment once the samples that we've taken run out. And so when people from first world countries like the United States arrive, it it also tends to devalue the local medical people in the eyes of the communities. Well, the the Americans are coming. They're, They're smarter. They're better. We should do what we can to build up in the eyes of the locals the medical professionals that are there. We need to work together with those people rather than working against them. And when we do that, not only do we help elevate them in the eyes of the people, but we also help the local economy by saying, you know, you need to work with these people. You need to work with these people. Get your medications, et cetera, from them. So please understand, I I don't begrudge anyone the treatment of physical illnesses at all. Jesus healed people. We are to be his hands and feet. We are to be like him. He cared about physical suffering, uh, and, and he dealt with that as well. There's a difference, though. When Jesus healed somebody, I don't see that there was a need for ongoing prescription medications. When he healed somebody, it was complete. Okay? We don't have that as a general rule, uh, as our ability like he did. So healing people, curative processes are good, good things, but we still believe prevention is better whenever illnesses and injuries can be prevented. So what can short-term teams do? First of all, engage with local infrastructures. The medical people, the Department of Health, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Education, partner with those people. Don't ignore them. Help them engage with the villages and the communities where you're serving. Secondly, build long-term relationships with villages and with people. You should build at least, I think, a 10-year commitment to any place. If you're going to go somewhere, you should build a 10-year commitment so that people know that you're going to be there. Why? Well, not so that you can build more houses for them in 10 years, but the reason is so that you build relationships with the people. Because Christianity is all about relationships. Relationships with God, relationships with other people, relationships with ourselves and with the world around us. We need to understand that missions are not a sprint, they're a marathon. And we shouldn't expect to think for things to turn around in a matter of weeks or even months or even in a matter of two or three years. Thirdly, go as learners. And when appropriate, as teachers of those that can teach others, but not as doers. 
Let the local people be the doers. Build them up, encourage them, help them understand the assets that they have, both in terms of wisdom and knowledge and how to survive in those places, the assets, the physical assets that God has placed at their disposal, the training, the education that people in their communities have. Capitalize on those things. Whatever you do, just don't do things for people that they can and should do for themselves. Look for ways, as I said, to build up the local experts in the eyes of the people. Connect with long-term missionaries. That may be people that are doing CHE programs. Like I said, we're in over 90 countries around the world. Maybe other, we have some other long-term missionaries here among us this morning. Uh, partner with them. Don't work in opposition to them. Don't parachute in without them knowing you're coming. Let them tell you what they need, maybe all that they need. And, and this is, I shouldn't say only all that they need because this is huge. Maybe they just need some real encouragement. And your short-term teams can go and be encouragers. They can be Barnabases to help the long-term missionaries that struggle with these issues day in and day out. I would also say this, and I'll say it slightly different a little bit later, but don't descend on long-term missionaries with a team of 20 people. Think about the logistics of housing and feeding and transporting 20 people and what that does to their mission efforts that are already underway. Keep your mission team small. Here's another one. Uh, Big catalyst for transformation, but realize that you've got very limited potential for impact due to the fact that you're going to be there a short time. Now, the longer you go back to that village, the more times you go back, the greater opportunity you have to make big catalyst for transformation. And then finally, another one is utilize technology. Smartphones are everywhere. Um, In in, um, 2016, the number of smartphones in the world is estimated to reach 2.16 billion people. It's amazing to me when I go to Africa or when I've gone to India or places like even in Peru in the rainforest, how many people have smartphones? Okay. Um, It's supposed to grow from 2.16 billion in 2016 to somewhere between 6.1 billion and 9.1 billion in four more years. It's also estimated that 70% of the world's population at that point will have a smartphone. In addition, there's about 4 billion users of the Internet in 2016. Why am I mentioning that? Well, we need to learn how to leverage technology with those that we serve. You go to these villages with short-term teams. Build the relationships. Maintain the relationships, even when you're apart from one another, separated by half a world by the use of technology. Use the smartphones to maintain that relationship, to pray for one another, to get prayer requests, to even disciple via the technology that God has blessed us to be able to have. So what are some things they should not do? We've mentioned this already. Don't be paternalistic. Don't go with the attitude, we know better than you. Listen to what we've got to say and what we've got to tell you. Very destructive. Don't give away money. And if there was one thing I would say to take away from here, don't create dependency. Make sure your short-term teams are not fostering dependency. Again, don't be overambitious. Realize you've got limited potential and limited time. 
be cautious about what you take with you. Um, especially if those things could have been sourced in country. Uh, most of the medical teams I know take suitcases full of medications. What happens when those medications are all used up? They may not have the same medication there. Why not purchase the medications in the country you're going to help foster the economy that way there as well? Think about those things. Other recommendations. Uh, Redefine what a successful mission trip means. It's never about numbers. The tough part is this. Oftentimes churches want to hear the numbers. The senders, those that have helped fund it, want to hear about how many people came to your clinic, how many people were baptized, how many children came to the vacation Bible school. We've got a real challenge to kind of redefine, I think, what means a, what is a successful short-term mission. We need to think in terms of transformation. What kind of transformation are we beginning to see? And you know it's going to take time. The first few years, the people that are sending and, and giving the money may say, we're not getting much bang for our buck here. But we need to help them have a transformation of a mind that says it's about people, not about numbers. It's about relationships and making disciples. I would encourage you to, first of all, before you go into a new area, to send a scout team of two or three people that would go into that area, identify possible partners, whether they're in the government agencies or churches or missions organizations that are already on the ground there. Identify those possible partners. Next, minimize the side of the team. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, I wanted to mention it again because it really simplifies life for folks on on the hosting end. Carefully screen members before going. This is my own opinion, but I think if they're not involved in some local mission already in the United States, they're probably not good candidates to go on a mission team because you don't see a mission heart. You want to see the calling. Uh, can, can it, yeah? I was just going to say about the size of the team and the teams that you break. Um, we had an experience where another team wasn't our team was there with younger, young adults, college age people or whatever. And one of the, one of the colleges, I can't eat that, I don't eat that, right. I'm allergic <laughs> to this, um, you know, and wasn't really into the local food. Yep. And that's the next point, yeah. Set expectations clearly about how hot it's going to be or how cold it's going to be, how hard the work is going to be, about the food that you're going to eat. The worst thing I ever ate in the world was something I got in Ghana the very first meal I had there, okay? Um, and nobody had told me to expect that. <laughs> I should have expected it, but I think it's important that short-term teams have very, very realistic expectations. Don't sugarcoat things. Uh, the communication challenges are also huge. Train them well. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means they need to understand, I'm going to some foreign country where this is what their culture is like, this is what their traditions are like, about things such as time. How do they view time? North Americans, we're time-oriented. Most cultures we go to are not. To them, relationship is much more important than keeping on a schedule, and I've got six minutes left. So, Um, Honor. Honor for elderly. Honor for whoever it might be in the villages. Uh, judgment, how people make judgment, uh, judging people or, or situations. Uh, goals, we're very goal-driven in, in North America. Again, many people are not necessarily goal-driven. It's the process that's more important to them. Ideas about self-worth, vulnerability, hospitality, familiarity, privacy, communication. 
They should be trained on, on what those things are like in the country that they're going to. They need to understand those things. Okay, so a lot of that may sound negative and, and discouraging to you. I hope it doesn't. That was not the intent here. As I mentioned earlier, though, I believe in short-term teams. Otherwise, I wouldn't do what I do with medical ambassadors. One of the reasons I believe in short-term teams is because I see it as a gateway for people who become long-term missionaries. Most people that are long-term missionaries started out by going on short-term missions. So it's a, it's a gateway for long-term missions work. And I think that is tremendous. Okay. It's not a fad. You know, The number of, of short-term teams has just been exploding. And uh, I believe that God is doing that. Uh, in, the, in the North American church for a variety of reasons. Um, I think he wants the North American church to wake up to the reality of life in the rest of the world. And I think he also is trying to wake us up to our own materialism as well as our own sense of superiority and that we need to be humbled. I wish every North American Christian could go to a third world country. I use that term, but uh, majority world country every two to three years. And I think the church would be transformed if that was to be the case. Um, they're going to stay. Short-term teams are here. Uh, no matter how, some long, how much some people in the, in the world, missionaries, long-term missionaries, might wish that they wouldn't bother them so much, they're here. We need to figure out how to make them more effective and to work in partnership. Also, they can be helpful and a great blessing to those in the sending church and to those overseas. Remember the command, though, is to go and do what? It's to make disciples. That's the goal. That's why people should be going. We need to remember that it took Jesus three years to form disciples who, even after his resurrection, it says some of them still didn't believe. If Jesus took three years to disciple them and they still didn't believe, we can't figure that we're going to do that in a week or ten days or two weeks. We need to be realistic and make sure that we are focused on making disciples because that's the reason we should be going. Uh, we've got just about four minutes. Um, comments, questions, whatever. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, okay. uh, one thing I would say about short-term missions is that not all places that short-term missions go are the same. And there are, there are places that where the programs are well-developed, where they are used to taking short-term teams, where they're Amen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. His comment was that there are some uh, programs that are very well developed that take short-term teams and um, uh, are doing a great job. And if you've got people that are really kind of wanting to find out what missions is all about, maybe rather than sending to a team that is, that is well-developed already, there are places you can go and organizations that will take people on kind of an exploratory trip. We would call them vision trips. Okay. Good. Thank you. <coughs> um, oh, yes. Sent over a lot of short-term teams. Um, I, I think one of the things that's a danger, even though helping without improving is a, is a good book, is when we define uh, uh, their needs as being weak in relationships. I would almost go the opposite. I would think 
uh, we found that they have very good relationships and that the people that come over are, are, are very poor in relationships often, that the social part of it is their strength in many places. We go to Africa, Asia, different places. But I, I think that, uh, and then the other thing I, I would really encourage is, oh, and this is the question, how to do this, is um, a lot of times teams come over empty-handed. Um, they, they're bringing over what they need. And re- remember that it's not about us, it, you know, it's about them and about God, what he can do. But I think the key thing is, uh, one of the key things that you mentioned was technology. Technology is transformative. It's, it's amazing how that gets dispersed and, and integrated is, is a big challenge because yeah. there's so many have-nots. Yeah, for those, for those in the back, he made kind of three points there. One of them is that these people we go to serve, oftentimes they are much more about relationship already than we are. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. And when I, when I say focus on relationships, I'm talking about us building a relationship with them. They've got great relationships probably, much more relational people. What, what I was trying to get at is one of the, I think, the fallacies of helping without hurting, which you mentioned, is the brokenness often that they have. I would turn that around and a lot of times they don't have brokenness in relationships. That's, I think, not, right. not, not okay. really good. Yeah, but yeah. They, they may not have brokenness in their relationships because they are more relational, but yeah. Okay. to get to know them and, and learn and, and listen and they were like, but you didn't bring us a project. And so it was like, we're trying to apply the very things you're saying and, and on the other end, they have relationships with each other, but when we come, they're expecting from us yeah. a project or something, so there's a misunderstanding that I, I think we're being able to clear up now, but it's, it's a learning curve on both ends. Amen, yeah. It's learning curve on both ends. What's that? Yeah, they've been mistrained by previous teams that, that did do projects for them, right? Okay. Well, they may see us as lazy at the beginning, but, but our right. time is being spent in engaging them. Right, right. Okay. Well, if you want to leave, go ahead. It's 9 o'clock. I want to make sure to get you out of here. I will hang around and talk to anybody that wants to. Also, you can catch me at the Medical Ambassadors booth later. Thank you, folks, for coming. Appreciate it.